Hey everyone, it's uh, David here again. We're back with another holiday chat and I'm happy to let everyone know that we're continuing our holiday tradition of having Paul join us. And if you remember from last year's holiday chats, Paul had uh, relocated himself down to Florida and let's catch up and find out what happened. Paul, um, you, you, had, uh, you had moved down to Florida with your wife and um, I think last year we talked about you getting a business brokerage business going down there, and we talked about some of the some of the strategies that you were you were working on. Um, why don't you take us through the journey of of what ended up unfolding uh, over the course of the last year? Sure, be happy to. The uh, you're right. In fact, uh, it was November first last year. 2021, uh, that uh, actually we arrived on October 31st. We left on the 29th. Of 2020, you mean? Like, of like 2021, one year ago. Well, 20, uh, November 2021 was just last month. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> November, you're right. Okay. <laughs> see, see, I've got COVID cloud. <laughs> did, did you catch it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I've had a cold down there. Okay. I don't know that I've had any cold. So, so maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right. The, uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think. We talked in, I think it was January of 2021, right? Yep. Because we missed the holiday chat period. And then I think we caught up uh, in January and February, right? Yes. It was just after Christmas. Yeah. All right. But anyway, at, uh, it was a year ago, which was 2020, after a full year of COVID. In January that year, even before the COVID scare, my wife said, we're leaving, we're moving, let's go to Florida, right? And uh, so I said, well, I better figure out how to move my businesses and, and do things because uh, it looks like I'd be living in Florida for the rest of my days. And I, because I didn't have any intention of, uh, you know, two homes going back and forth on the airplanes and all of that. Yeah. That's just not my style. So I said, okay. And then I moved methodically from January till October. And uh, to her, her talent, it looks like I was resisting the entire time. But actually, I was trying to figure out how to pull this off. <laughs> And uh, she packed the house up, got things ready, made all the arrangements. And then I think it was uh, end of August, I figured out that she was serious and we were leaving. <laughs> the house was up for sale, uh, the condo, I mean, and uh, we were starting to get offers. So I ordered the moving company and they came in on, I think, the 27th of uh, October and loaded everything up. And we pulled away on the 28th of October and arrived down here on the 30th. And we've uh, rented and we're still in the same property that we rented uh, over a year ago. We've extended it for another year. So when we arrived, uh, totally new area. I was familiar with the area because my brother had uh, been down here some years ago and I'd visited a number of times. But uh, everything was brand new. So we mm -hmm. had to figure out everything. Uh, hey, it's thanksgiving time to make a thanksgiving and try time to get the christmas going and so we did all of that and uh but my first engagement in the community is i went to uh, we were invited by one of our neighbors to a republican uh christmas party all right okay so, so we said okay so this is a beautiful country club right around the corner from here and everything was to be so we drive in there and there's other people trying to find their way and we get out of some guy waves me down and I so I think the entrance is around the corner. So we pull in there and he gets out of his car and introduces himself and he and his wife. Yeah, we were lost. We know we just moved here. He said, well, we did, too. And they said, where he said, well, we're from California. He says, he says, I couldn't take it anymore. I just sold my construction business, left all the equipment and the land there. I'm trying to get a land lease and, and all of that gone. He said, but we had to just get the H out of there and left. So we gave it all up. And we've been out there 20 years building that business. And he says, I got it in the hands of a broker, and we're going to see what happens. And so we've laughed about that ever since. And they become friends of ours now, you know, strangers come in, turns out they have two kids, both grown, 
and uh, they were from New York, New Jersey area, and then had been out there 20 years, but they had family up in the uh, Northeast. And, but their kids have moved down. One's in Miami and one's in Tampa. Okay. And, and they're here and that's their new life. And they're in their uh, old, probably late fifties, mid fifties. Uh, so, so just, so just for everyone to know, like your, your business in Michigan, what different aspects did you have going on there? Cause you were doing some business brokerage, but that was just one part of it. You had, a, you had other things going on too. That was kind of part of that package. Right. My main business uh, started out years ago as a leadership and productivity improvement. I'm a quality engineer mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of manufacturing technology, et cetera. So in the auto industry, I provided those services and then as the industry changed over the years, I, uh, we went through a few crises and a lot of my business owner friends were losing their businesses. So I got into financial planning work. So I got licensed in all the insurances and financial planning and have kept that practice going, though at a low level and continued uh, advisory work, if you may, uh, strategic planning, consulting, whatever, which took me into a little bit of business brokering. And so I got real estate licensed in, in Michigan so that I could do business brokering type work. Mm-hmm. And uh, that extended it, still doing consulting. And then I get in the online space by doing, uh, you know, Zoom call consulting and uh, training and those types of sorts, even before the pandemic. So I, on a positive side, I mean, I was telling everybody this might be scary, but this is where the world's going. And maybe we can finally get people educated about how to use technology to their advantage. And so over the early days of the COVID uh, issue, uh, I was promoting and teaching and training people how to bring their businesses and and keep them alive using technology. And so that was through that period when my wife was packing the house and et cetera. And uh, so then when we moved down here, uh, got exposed to people like I just met. And then I started meeting other business people and then watched the license plates. And you see people coming in and you saw it on the news that people giving up their restaurants up north or, and they had to come down here. Well, a big well, migration of people. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is they're all prospering. They're, they're able to open their businesses. The governor down here has been a real stalwart against uh, control, command methodologies. Uh, you can imagine the type of people that are attracted down here are more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and have the ability to do it. And uh, in many cases have the resources, certainly have the skills and they have the resources to do it. Uh, I don't notice any difference. Uh, those people that are retired in that kind of a community I experienced that too, because even though I'm pretty senior in age, I'm, I'm very active and very engaged in things and intend to do that. You know, as they say, go out with your boots on. And, and I expect to do that, but I found myself in the first three or four months making friends and having lunches or whatever, and having a, a disturbing experience. I didn't like the conversations. I wasn't interested in in what these people are doing. They're in a different mode than I'm in. So one of the things, advisory, if you may, if you're intending to stay involved and in business and doing things. Do you mean mean that they were kind of like in a retired mindset? Like they weren't active and- and, They're totally in a retired mindset. And their, their engagement is breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, and talking about health and uh, having uh, discussions about their grandkids okay. and, and all of the things that a typical business conversation doesn't run. And now you've got spouses involved. And so spouses want with other spouses so that you're there. Oh, won't you come with me to this event and, and so forth. And that would be okay if the information at the event is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Now, a point out a positive aspect, it turned out down here, the quote unquote Republican Women's Club is a very, very strong club in this area. And they have brilliant speakers every month and it's first class 
and it, it's good for me. I, I got this coat and tie on. It's in a convention center. It's at the Hilton or at the Marriott. It's you're engaged. You're in, and the people you're talking with are people that are uh, staying in the game at one level. In many okay. cases, it's mostly political or, or, or volunteerism or other things, which is not necessarily my cup of tea, but those people need services and they need help. And they know all of the movers and shakers in, in the community. So you have, can have healthy, robust conversations. But I'm just trying to, trying to teach, uh, if you may, there is a distinct categorization that you must be prepared for when you're coming down to Florida, if you may, or South Carolina, or North Carolina. you're quote unquote retiring, but are you retiring or yeah. are you not? Right. It's, it's, it's how you want to spend your days up here. You know, what, what you want to have going on. That's right. And, and I think it's important for everybody to think through that, particularly an entrepreneur is what is your identity? All right. I, I, I mentioned that I watched, uh, uh, that, uh, a video uh, recording that you did of John uh, Warlow, I think it is. And, yeah, uh, Bill, Warlow, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. War, Warlow on, on his bill. And one of the things that uh, he talked about on there was assessing the mindset of the entrepreneur when they are selling a business, buying a new business, transition. For example, my friend that I mentioned He's here and he's still pretty young, 55, and he's got to be getting to look for another business. Well, he's been an entrepreneur for 30 years. Yeah. So he's not going to buy himself a little restaurant and flip pancakes. All right. But is he really have the energy to go buy another construction company and, and get into the heat of the battle, just a different territory? So those are all mindset issues that uh, anybody relocating needs to do. Now, that's one piece. So another piece in my journey is I left behind, uh, in fact, my financial manager, uh, a gal that's been with me for 30 years with the business, she's still there. And so I just put the corporation basically in her home and she works out of her home and, and does consulting and other things. So I maintain a corporate presence there and she maintains it. She's the vice president treasurer of the company. And, and so I keep that for the near term, there's no reason for me to do it. And in my case, because it is really not a sellable business, it's mm. been a service business. And at one time I had 35 employees, but I didn't structure it and make the changes at that time to become an entity that would have long-term value. I just made it an entity and really over the years shrunk it. So it's all like a personal service corporation with multiple now, I have multiple licenses. I have lots of flexibility. But if I don't show up, after a while, it dries up. And, uh, you know, when talking about the chat, getting on the chat, uh, I was excited to, to get it doing again because it causes me to reexamine this year. So, you know, it's like you and I getting together at least once a year is, okay, how'd it go last year? What is next year trying to be? And I'm sure everybody is doing that and trying to figure out what it's going to be. Well, I'm finding that most of my quote unquote clients now, after 13 months away, out of sight, out of mind. And I'm calling them and I visit a lot of them on video and see, but, but as the ability to not use Zoom enables people to get distracted on other things, I'm seeing my business owners I call it distracted when they really need to be focused on business solving and probably need consult consulting and help from people like you and me more than ever. So, they're, so, they're so what you're, what you're saying is what you're saying is that the people who normally did face-to-face -face business then went to electronic means when, when the, all the pandemic concerns were, were act, more active. And now that things are reopening, they're going back to their old habits and they're not staying sort of in the virtual connectedness. Yes. Do you, that's do you what I see. You, do you think that's a function of their, of their age? Because I, I think this is insightful because you clearly built that business initially through face-to-face -face contacts, right? Because when I, when I think about my business, 
you know, I'm on YouTube and, and like, basically I hardly do any business around here anymore. And so most people that I'm working with, their only way of ever having interacted with me was in this remote sort of fashion. Right. And, and um, so as rules change or what have you, I'm not really seeing any impact in my business, but it's interesting that, that you're seeing people revert back. And I guess maybe it's just like that, the, the old habits sort of thing, would you say? Yes, definitely, definitely do that. But, but the point that I'd also like to take away from that is they are being distracted. When they had to go electronic or video, they had to be focused. They had to learn the skills. They had to mm. show up at the meetings. They had to get in there and get engaged and try to extract value. And they understood that, that they would have nothing if they didn't do that. Well, now when they have something, they are able to, well, I won't show up for that meeting or I'll skip this assignment or I'll do that. So they're doing themselves a disservice and don't even know it. Okay. Right. And, and that's, that's a warning. One of my warnings for, for next year is we slide back into distraction of all of our bad habits, not our old habits. In many cases, our old habits keep the good ones, but make certain you're not sliding into the old bad habits. All right. And so that's one of the experiences of that. Now, I, I uh, involved in a, I think I mentioned this Christian business uh, group where there's 14 chapters throughout Michigan. And right. I was highly involved in the early days and took over one chapter in the Detroit area and built it over a period of three years into four different chapters. And we had 40 or 50 business owners showing up once a month for these various conferences. And we would fill 80 people for breakfast and have a speaker and all that. We built it up across the state. And then during this period of time, the first year of COVID, we held it together with Zoom and then they exhausted out. Well, then now, I bet you only 20% of those people come anymore. And the other 80%, we're rebuilding a whole new group of people. To your point, people that, that are more able to do electronic or more interested mm. or have changed. The old don't want to come back. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can, but your camera turned off. Yeah, but it's because there's a call coming in. So let me shut that off. There it goes. It should come back. There you go. Excuse me. The, uh, uh, but anyway, so the, the new group aren't doing it electronically, right? They're back to face-to-face meetings, but their attendances are down to about half. So they have a full-time job now going back and building their attendance up. So if they've got face-to-face charisma and the ability to hold a, a small working group together, they're going to be successful. All right. And because that's been my life consulting and and facilitating and doing that, I was successful building from one chapter to four chapters in a short period of time. I would suggest most of the other facilitators and chef, they don't have those skills. Mm -hmm. They're, they're doing other businesses. (laughs) They aren't in the consulting facilitating business. So they may have a tough time bringing that organization back up to the strength. One of the proposals that I, that I made and, and was resisted on is they didn't want to keep Zoom calls going. I said, well, we got to do both. It was set up a good conference room and do both. And I, I was able to get that so far because I sit on the board of this group too and, and can give them advice. So finally, I just suggested to them that I would like to start a new chapter. So I said, just start a new one. I'm going to start it virtually and we're going to hold it at 12 noon. So anybody from coast to coast can show up and you're going to be invited. I'll send you an invitation. But this is a great one hour meeting of business owners that are coming from all over every kind of discipline and have uh, conversations of what I'm going to call about real issues that people are facing. Forget the business, the overall spiritual, mental, social, financial development, which has been caused by COVID to be a real crisis in our country. And you're seeing it now skyrocket, the mental health and the whole issue. So these business owners, they have a whole new problem now. 
besides all the other issues we've already talked about, is, is they've got to deal with the mental issues. They have to have one heck of an HR department now in order to tolerate all of the interference from government, to tolerate and develop the skill sets for mental health, to uh, coach and advise people and help people uh, get a grip to become the best they can be. These are real issues, real people, but our companies are made out of real people. Yeah. All right. And if, you, if, if you're probably seeing some of the clips come from this tor tornado down in Mayfield, Kentucky. All right. And I keep hearing from and listening to the, the early conversations. And it's a remarkable, but it's a whole town that's been wiped out. So now you have every kind of employer, every kind of employee, every kind of bank, hospital, church, whatever has to come together and rebuild a civilization. I think there is a lot of instruction to be taken from that. And, and the warning to all business people that what if, how well, how, how equipped are you, not only to provide service for your customers and your business and manage your supply chain and do that, but nurture and develop and care for your own family, for your own employees, for, for all of that and how are those transition. I think those are gonna be the issues of the future. We got COVID weighing on everybody's head and then you got chaos coming in everybody's life and it's freezing people. And, mm -hmm. and that, that was a long way of saying what I wanted to say. I've noticed over 13 months, almost a freeze coming on. It, it's and interesting. I have to instruct myself on that. I've, I've, I've tried to attend, like I've been invited to different events, things that would have been like a day conference, you know, beforehand. And now they're being executed online. And, and, you know, on the surface, there's a lot of advantages that you can see, you know, like, well, I don't have to travel and, you know, all these other things. And there's fewer expenses and things of that nature. But I've got to say, I, I was not feeling the engagement um, with the, the facilitators and the presenters that I would have if I was in a live event. And I certainly didn't feel like I got to get to, you know, if you imagine a, a if you're in a room, you know, and people are at round tables, for example, and there's a, you know, someone speaking up front through the little breaks and the interruptions and things, you get to know the people that are at your table and you, you, you walk away with some of these one-on-one -on -one connections that you make with other attendees. And I thought that was completely absent. And they, they tried to replicate the idea of a trade show hall. And so if you've been to a, a place, a conference where there are, you know, sort of speakers in one room, and then maybe the next room over, big ballroom, but they've got little tables and booths set up in different companies and people will go wander over there at different times and they'll meet vendors and things of that nature. They were trying to do that virtually too, but I went into a couple of these sort of virtual trade booths and it, I, you know, didn't find the interaction to be a fluid human interaction. Like, like if you were face to face and you you know wandered over and like hey what are you guys doing over here right? and somebody just sparks a conversation with you, and so I I don't know if it's the the format and the technology or that they're they're people are trying to replicate what they think the real world is like with these tools and, or if there's something completely different that's needed. It's I, I can certainly see that after the, uh, attending that event, I could certainly see that if I had the opportunity to just go do the thing the old fashioned way, it would be a lot more alluring. So I can certainly see why you've seen this, this backpedaling from the online stuff within those, those uh, business yep. groups, because I think people, you know, was they're calling it zoom fatigue now, right? You know, people, and right. for years I've been having meetings all day long on zoom. So I'm kind of used to it. But um, for, for people who are not habituated to that, I can, I can certainly appreciate the fact that they're tired of it and they kind of want those real connections back. No, I, I agree 100%. And people are struggling to do it. Uh, the, just as a, a spinoff of that, I started looking for uh, next year, say, all right, maybe I should get out here in the circuit because we have a lot of destination resort hotels yep. and people bring their conferences down here, not maybe the big 
conference that goes to Orlando or something like that, but the small private enclaves that, that could use a speaker, right? And I have multiple things that I can speak on. I have a couple books in the sort, and I'm right here. I don't need to make a lot of money to do it. Uh, just give me the opportunity. Well, I started looking at some and going through some of the qualifications or things. And to the everyone that I looked at, first page of the warning is you must be vaccinated. You must sign off this. You must sign off that. I mean, the rule book to show up at their conference was so stifling that I don't know why anybody would go to a conference, let alone a speaker and, and everything else. Why do we need to subject ourselves to this madness of rulemaking by those that don't engage, but, but can make rules, all right? And it's, and it's a pretty, and I was very uh, alerted by that, and I'm going to keep watching it and see what happens. Uh, I, I was at a conference, you're familiar with Hillsdale College? No. It's in Michigan, hillsdale.edu. It's the only privately funded college in the United States. Takes absolutely no government money of any kind. Never has since 1800 and something. And, and their whole principle is, is freedom and uh, liberty and justice for all. Their constitutional, everything about it is very, very core. At any rate, they, they do a conference twice they go all over the country with for their alumni or whatever. And they got four or five hundred thousand people that follow them. All right, they came down here and did a conference last year, right in the middle of uh, of uh, the COVID chaos, and held it at the Ritz Carlton or uh, I think it was Ritz or Hilton. I forget which one. <clears throat> we had four hundred people there. All right. And it was all spaced out and done well. And you could wear a mask if you liked. If you didn't, you didn't. And it was just kind of orderly and, and attentive and alert. But again, it was like I said, everybody was there in their full suits and carrying their conference materials and all of that. And that's what you're talking about. There were real people sharing coffee together and, yeah. and having a donut at breakfast and, and getting to know each other or whatever rather than, you know, the, the other side of the coin. And I'm sure there's conferences like that that got everybody uh, frozen too, but. Well, I, you I know, what know. you're, what you're saying about, about the rules, you know, I, I think this is, this is a, a, a critical thing because, you know, I'm, I'm living in Canada. So, um, you know, to your point about vaccines, I mean, there's, there, we have to show evidence of vaccination to do a lot of things, to go a lot of places. Now I can't get on an airplane without showing proof of vaccination here. And so, you know, when you look at the survival rate of COVID and the, you know, the demographics of the people that are typically running into problems, if they catch that virus, um, you know, I'm actually not afraid of catching the bug because I'm in good health. I'm, you know, middle-aged, I'm not, you know, in a, in a target demographic, is there some statistical opportunity that I, I might die from it? Of course, but you, I could die from a lot of different things. So I'm not afraid of catching the bug. What I'm afraid of, of, of happening is I'm afraid of taking my kids on a vacation to somewhere like Florida. And then before we get back, we have to do a test. And if we test positive, then we can't travel. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm stuck somewhere. And, and so it creates so many degrees of uncertainty, you know, that, that, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what if this happens? Then what if this happens? And what if this happens? And the net result is that people, to your point, they're, they're shrinking. Their, their, their world is shrinking because they're, they're like, you know what? I can't run the risk of being stuck somewhere, having to isolate in, a, in another place where I have a hotel bill that's going to start racking up into real money. You know, even even if they're not, you're not talking about a hospital, right? Like if you're just talking about, oh, now right. I'm stuck in a hotel room for two weeks and I'm not exactly to leave, you're stuck right? in the Windsor in the Windsor Hotel in downtown Windsor, <laughs> right? And so and so then you know, in my mind, I mean, you know, so my whole life it's it's been about well, what are the rules to this game and how do I play this game? So you think about financing businesses, you think about business, you think about all these kinds of things. Like right. what are the rules? What will these people allow? What, what do these people say? What's written down over here? And so then I start to get into these rules, right? And I'm starting to like look at these things. I'm like, okay, well, 
if instead of flying, I drove across the border, and then if I came back to the border, and if I, let's say I tested positive at that point, would I be able to have an isolation plan of just coming to my house, right? And so then you're, you're sitting there trying to game the system of rules, but the problem is every few weeks to every couple of months, they change, change. The they change them, exactly. right? And so, because, you know, the kids have March break coming up here in, in a couple months, I'd love to take them down to see Mickey Mouse or something, but I'm trying to now place these, you know, what is the probability or likelihood that this is going to change or that's going to change, or they're going to make a new rule at the border. And, you know, things seem to be settling down now, but, you know, just wait until this new strain, you know, is more in the headlines. And it, anyway, so I know we're getting off track, but, but it must be no, nice. You're on, it, you're on track. It must be nice is- in Florida to, to have a certain degree of normalcy in your day to day. Right. Well, compared to what I conversations I have with other business owners and I see on the TV and listen to some of these leaders and their speeches, we have real normalcy. All right. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you the last time I put on my, my mask. All right. <laughs> I, you go in anywhere because you can't mandate. Now you go into certain restaurants and they require because they're corporate out of Chicago or something, they have rules and they have to wear masks. And, and one in particular, I won't bother naming it. When they would when you'd go there, they would yell at you at the front door, put your mask on to walk from the front door to your, your seat in the breakfast house. And so I stopped going there. All right. I, mm-hmm. I've solved that problem. I, I don't need them to yell at me. And, and I told the last time I went there, I said, well, I don't want to upset you. I'll just leave. And I <laughs> walked out. You know, you're having a bad hair day, but you're not going to have it on me. (laughs) And we have that freedom, right? Now, to your point, as more and more wizards come up with more and more rules, they crunch your options to the point where you don't want to adventure out. You don't want to even try. You don't want to do it. Well, that isn't going to be all that bad in a place like Florida, whether our weather is good, where every day is nice, where I'm living very comfortably, it would be a lot more constraining if I was up in snowbound Detroit again, and I was trying to get somewhere and everybody's tents and the roads are icy and all of those other things, that takes people's temperature from already on high off the moon. And everybody has to live with that. So that's the danger that, that I'm seeing. But, you know, back, back to your, your thought, the other thing, and that's when I, this, I'm, 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 I'm preaching and teaching at the same time, teaching myself. So what am I going to do? Because I'm, I, like everybody else, is saying, what's your plan? Hmm. I, I used to say all the time, as consultant, heal thyself. <laughs> you know, what's your plan? And your plan has to be. So. I'm mapping things out and I say, I am going to do this. Now, in my case, it's not going to be travel. I'm, I, I'm not going on an airplane because I'm not listening to the rules. I don't like all the rules. I don't like being bossed about. That's just my personality style. And I don't want to raise my temperature and I don't need to raise theirs. So if I want to go anywhere, I'll get in my car. I'll drive. I'll go where I want to go, do what I want to do. <clears throat> but I have to have a plan. I have to have something in the January calendar, in the February calendar, right? in the June calendar. And I have to have a vision of what this is going to be like. And if, in fact, it's going to be virtual, if it's going to be watching the golf match on TV, then that's what it is. If it's going to be going to an event, that's what it is. But too many people don't do that. They don't, they don't plan. They don't have goals. They, they're just continuing to suffer under this. And this is a major problem for businesses coming up. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. And the, the one thing that I, I want to try these three ideas on you <clears throat> that I think are important ideas for 2022 okay. and then get your feedback if you agree with me or not. Okay. We're so fragile right now that what people, everybody needs 
is a coach, a personal coach. Now, I've really never liked that word. I'd like consulting. I'd like training, teaching, advisory. I'm kind of a let me show you how to do it. You go do it yourself type of leader. That's all the way I've been. And then over the years, this whole theme of coaching, you got to have a coach. You got to have a coach. I was never an athlete, so I don't have an appreciation for coaching perspective. Hmm. That was never my thing. And for 30 years, though, I've heard people talk about coaching. And then I said, well, I must be the idiot. Maybe that's, that's what it is. Well, now in the last year and a half, I've concluded I, I don't have to be an idiot about it. That's just a style. It's a category and style. But what I'm seeing is needed now is everybody from the CEO on down needs a personal one-on-one coach on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, either one-on-one or with a small group, three or mm. four people on their leadership team with them, with a third-party coach who can hold them accountable. Yeah. You know, business and personal, because people aren't getting things done because they're frustrated and they don't know who to turn. They, they can't trust their boss. They don't trust their minister. They don't trust the, the government. Right. Uh, and it's. Back. There we go. That was it's call coming in. They don't trust the government. And so with this lack of trust, they need someone that can be there. And that's where I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute, to get reestablished here, to get stability going, maybe we really need to come at people aggressively with, you know, you need a coach. You, you need someone to tell you the truth because the problem you got is no truth. There, you don't there's, believe in it. There's definitely value in, in, in coaching. And I'll, I'll tell you that um, for me, for a long time, I spent 10 years in a, in a, in a, in a pure coaching group, a mastermind group, right? And uh, I ultimately left it because the flavor of the group started to change, much to your point earlier about going out for lunch with people who are retired and they want to talk about, you know, knee replacements and their grandkids. Um, I, I was in a group where half of the members started to get to the point where they, they were looking for their exit. And, and the, so the the energy and the content and the conversations and the focuses started to wander from where they had been for the nine previous years, which, Mm -hmm. right. And so, and so I left that group and in 2019, I set about trying to replace it somehow. And I I went down a few different avenues. I, I tried some different professionally organized mastermind programs um, and then, and then the, the whole lockdown thing happened. And so that kind of frustrated a lot of that stuff. And, and right now what I'm doing is I've got a couple of sort of uh, peers that we're, we spend a lot of time doing reflective back and forth, sort of co-coaching with each other, but it's not formalized. It's not, and I know it's not as good as it could be if it was a more formal kind of thing. And there's been huge growth in that industry. Uh, a buddy of mine, Mark Moini, um, hosts a program called Natural Born Coaches, a podcast show. And he's now been for years having this podcast where he talks about the coaching business. And, you know, it's, it's funny because there's parallels often between coaching and music, music I think, because there's, there, you know, Gene Simmons, who is in KISS, he, he uh, in his book that he wrote called Me, Inc., he described the fact that he never wanted to be a musician. He wanted to be in the music business mm-hmm. and, and, and delineated between the two. You know, sort of your, your uh, you know, highly trained uh, cellist who, you know, spends their entire life devoted to the, the, that instrument. You know, they're going to play in the symphony orchestra. That's a musician. But he wanted to take advantage of the leverage of being able to sell records to millions right. of teenagers, right? And that right. Uh, put him in the music business. And so the same thing on Mark's program, there's, there's a lot of people who want to be coaches and they might be good at coaching. He helps them actually develop a coaching business so that they right. can really make, make money in it, right? But to your point about consulting, I would say that because I, I've, I've faced this question with my own work and helping people buy and sell businesses, people will say, well, you know, how do you describe yourself? 
And I, and I actually use both words. I say that I help coach people through the process and I consult with them by doing the things that they cannot do on their own. Because really, if you think about what is a consultant, a consultant is typically the, the sort of specialist that comes in, executes a specific task that you don't have the resources or ability to do on your own, and then they depart, right? Right. And so when somebody wants to sell a business or buy a business, I'm doing some of that. And I'm also doing the coaching of guiding people through that, that process. And I would say that, you know, yes, there's, there's definitely a need for, for more coaching. It's certainly an area of growth that, that you could choose to follow. Um, you know, and someone with your experience in, in leadership management and change management and all that kind of stuff, I, you know, I know that there are methodologies out there for coaching, but you probably just pick up like a, a couple of books on the subject and meshed with your existing experience. Right. You probably have a good idea of what you want to, need no, to do. No, I, I, I agree. I have all the tools and capabilities to do it. And there's a big rush in the marketplace now, for people trying to sell courses like you to teach how to coach and all of those things. And I've resisted that stuff for, for 10 years because I have had the formal training, much like you had your EBIT training and all. I've yeah. had all of the formal education and training in that, and I've done it. I've trained thousands. <laughs> and the, but the, what I'm seeing is a lack of accountability from the CEOs on down. And the, the issue becomes, I can teach their management team I can consult, I can set up the systems for them, I can enable it, but if they don't execute, they're no better off than they were before I showed up. Yeah. And that's always been a frustration for me. I'm a results consultant. I said, I'll take you from here to there. It's just like you, you wanna buy a business, I'll take you on as a client, I'll help you scope it, size it, fund it, and I'll get you a business by the end of our engagement. That's that's my commitment. That I, I'm speaking as if it was you. And that's oh, I don't make I don't make that commitment. I, right. I I I help people look at businesses that they find, and I help them determine whether they make sense or not. The you know managing and conducting searches. I, I teach people how to do that. I'm like, here, okay. this is how you do a search, and then the, the and, and so I, I coach people and teach them this is the stuff you need to do, and then they go and do it. And, and then they, they find the opportunities and I help them analyze them. But um, yes, to your point, it's like, it's clearly, I clearly define for people what I'm going to be helping them with. And, and you know, and, um, and, and ultimately though, you know, the, it's like people will say, well, you know, should I buy this business in this certain industry? And one of the first mm -hmm. questions I ask is, what do you know about that industry? Right. I'm not an expert on every industry. I know a little bit about a lot of them, but um, you know, so I'll help you buy it. But then when it comes time for you to run the thing, I, I ought, people will often ask me if I'll stay on as their business coach through, you know, the operation of the business. And I'm like, no, you, you want to find the person that retired from that industry with 30 years of experience that exactly. they're going to be a far better coach for you because, because not, and, and here's, here's kind of my bone to pick with coaches in general. Um, I think that you need to have been there to help show someone else the way. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I would have a problem hiring a 22 year old life coach. Right. Right. Cause I would, right. I would, I would question the person's basis of experience in life. And so if someone's going to be a business coach, I would want to have a business coach that actually had some experience within the domains that I was operating in. Right. right. So the, in the janitorial business, you know, if you hire the, the, the person who retired after 40 years of owning their own, you know, they're going to quickly say, you know, like, like, Oh, well, have you explored this or, or, you know, they're going to, they're going to know how to challenge your ideas and your, and your preconceived notions based on what they have experienced in their own, in their own work. Right. They're going to have that applicable base of knowledge. Well, they're going to short circuit all of the wasted time that you're going to have because they're going to actually be a consultant and, and or at least have insights of your particular problems, industry, whatever it is. If they have that, they can add value as a consultant and then can coach you in that. But as important, they can hold you accountable. 
And, and it's one of the, I joke about is the advantage of old age. I don't care. I'm telling you what the right thing to do is. You can either do it or not do it. All right. But it's not my life. It's your business. You ask me to give you the advice on it. I'm giving you advice based on these facts and based on this situation. And here's three case studies that look like it because I've, I've seen it. I've been there. Now, do you want to continue to, to do it your way or would you like to take that? And I think you do a, a bit of that in the guiding them to buy a business. You know, I've decided I'm going to buy an ice cream store and my daughter's going to work in it. And I'm really excited about it. And we're going to have great times in the summer. And then you ask them all the questions. Well, what are you doing in the winter? All right. Okay. <laughs> How much money are you doing? How do you know if your daughter's going to come to work? <laughs> and you ask all these quote unquote logical questions for the third party advisor to ask. All right. And that's what I'm seeing missing. I'm, I'm, I'm guiding the CEOs to do something. And they say, oh, I'll delegate that to my people or we can do that in house or whatever. And then I come back to them and say, you know, I talked to you a month ago. So you said you're going to do all that. You didn't do any of them. Yeah. All right. So maybe we shouldn't talk anymore because I don't want to waste your time. But if you really want to get this job done, you got to hold yourself accountable and your people accountable to do it. And that's kind of what I, I labeled, if you may, coaching, but you're right. It's an integrated process of somebody that actually knows what they're talking about and commands a significant charge for it and says, but I'll get you to the end of the journey. Okay, let me jerk because I, I don't want to take our time. There's two others that I thought are going to okay. be very important. Uh, I mentioned coach, and I'm going to put accountability with that because that's my fourth one here, but coach accountability. Mm -hmm. The second one, is I think businesses need to explode their sales forces. So if you've got six salespeople now, you got to get 12. Okay. If you've got three salespeople, you got to get six. You've got to explode your sales course, even though you said, what am I going to do with them? How am I going to do it? It really doesn't matter. In the next 12 months, one third will turn over. All right. And the, and of the new ones, they're going to take you places that you're not even going right now that you need to be as a business. You need to have a market. You need to have a product. You need to have a customer that you don't even have in your fold today. And you need to get it by other people touching other people. And it goes back to what we're saying about the, the narrowing of the COVID is closing up your world. And, and I don't think people understand how close their world is now after two years. What now let's expand that conversation to talk about uh, capacity, the ability to execute. Like, I mean, we're talking about product services, wide industry here. So, so if I'm in an industry like, like, uh, and, and there's supply chain issues causing me to have an inability to get stuff, you know, what, what, what are some of the caveats do you think to your, to your idea that we should be doubling our sales forces? Uh, it would be, uh, there's the cost side of doubling your sales force. Hmm. So you've got, you've got to figure that out. Obviously you can't just run your costs up if you don't have any revenues coming in selling. Okay. But what I believe is going on is as people are shrinking down, they aren't replacing their sales energy. And the only thing that will ultimately pull them out of wherever they bottom out is gonna be sales forward. New markets, new products, new customers, and that requires new energy. You're gonna keep Joe. Joe has been your sales professional for years. He's doing 60% of the business. And you're gonna keep Janet Janet is doing 40% of the business, but those other three are just barely getting by because they don't have the prime accounts. They don't have this, that, and the other thing. And you're going to ride this out with Joe and Janet. And then at the end of riding it out, whenever that is, <laughs> you're going to have nothing. And you need to put three, four new salespeople in there, have the seniors mentor them, help make them successful, do whatever is necessary to fund them, put them on commission, give them new products to sell, uh, increase margins wherever you can, do whatever is necessary to have sales energy in your company. Yeah. 
because one more bookkeeper is not going to save your company. Right. One more HR person, even, even if they've got to take care of all the COVID paperwork and the government says I got to have them, they are only going to bury your company. They're not going to save your company. So I am seeing, and I've got a light of fire under my clients to blow up, explode is what I'm calling. And I, I use that word to get their attention because they'll, they'll push back immediately. We can't afford that. We can't do that. And I said, we got to figure a way to explode it because sales is the, and the other thing it's going to do, salespeople are people. They, they like people, people like them. Okay. I'll give you an illustration in my own life. One of the things that I did in the last six months is I'm looking at new markets and things is I was approached on the uh, Medicare insurance agency licensing. You may not be aware of that, but it's very complicated licensing in the States. You got to get licensed by the feds. Then you got to get licensed by the States. Then you got to get licensed by every carrier that you're doing business in on a bi-state basis. So you can be licensed by Humana in Florida, but then if you're going to sell in Michigan, you got a license to Michigan. So the whole thing is complicated. Well, anyway, I was dumb enough in, in May to say, okay, that's something that I can do. I like education, like learning, can do it all online and the whole bit. So I convinced my wife to do it and she's a good salesperson and, and whatever. And, and the, so anyway, we both got licensed. We threw, I don't know, probably 100, 120 hours a person putting in, it was not a trivial experience. The deeper I got, I said, what have I done here? All right. <laughs> to supposedly be able to sell all of these over the phone and do it. And we're going to get rich and you're going to have 50 customers. You're going to have this. And, and well, that prom- the promo is never as good as the ice cream. Right. Right. <laughs> and anyway, we got through it all. And the first season is there, but now I get all these credentials licensing in four States and have done this. And other. Well, then it comes and okay, now we're going to get all the sales. Well, here's your leads, all right? Well, the leads turn out, yeah, we got a thousand leads. They're all cold calls. They're all ice cold calls. Well, thank God my wife likes people and people like her. I mean, she literally dialed, dials for dollars, hundreds, all right? You make 40 calls in an hour and get through two people. You've been there. We've all been there, all right? You, you know, I, I've been there. And one of, my, one of my favorite stories to talk about sales and cold calling was back when I was at the Yellow Pages. When I first started off, I was a telephone sales guy calling people, just as you described. Now, you know, we would be given, you know, an assignment. And so for every directory territory we were working, we'd do them one after another through the publishing schedule through the year. You'd get your assignment, the big stack. And most of these were people that had ads already. And you were calling them up and you're talking about changes in their business that we need to change the ad, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, one of the things that the sales management always said is that there's always more cards. We used to, we used to call the files cards because they, they came in a multi-part computer print off kind of thing, you know, like pink, orange, and white and all that stuff. And, um, and so me and another guy, we, we used to work really hard to get through them. And then we'd go looking for new cards and we would get another big pile. And they were businesses that hadn't bought any advertising in like 10 years. And so the computer algorithm eventually relegated them off to this class B category where they didn't get assigned. And we would start calling these people. And some of them were closed. Some of them, the principal had died, you know. And then you, you, every once in a while, you get one. And it's like, oh, the son took over the business and he wants to know why we never call him to ask him to buy a quarter page ad in the yellow pages. Well, that's why I'm calling you today, sir. And then, you know, boom, you got a big sale. And it was amazing how much you know, commission you could find in a stack of cards that nobody had bothered to, you know, everyone thought they stunk and no one wanted to touch them and no one, you know, would hustle enough to be able to get to the point to invest the time in them. But there's, there's opportunity, especially if everyone else is kind of ignoring it. Right. Well, you're exactly right. And you've got to have the type of person. And my illustration was, I'm not that type of person. I'm not going to doubt Rachel no problem. And the interesting part about it, when she gets through to somebody, to your point, oh my God, thank you for calling. Well, you got to keep in mind, these are all seniors, right? And we're seniors. And they got the same 
knee aches and heart attacks and everything that everybody in our generation had. And Rachel loves talking to people and they love talking to her and she cares. All right. Well, the conversion rates are very good. If she actually can talk to somebody, her conversion rates off the map compared to everybody else. So lo and behold, in a matter of four weeks, they're going to say, we've got 10 new customers. All right. Well, you get 10 new customers and now the season, that season's over and there's other marketing, like people turning 65, other lists, if you may, that have to be prospect yeah. and done. But I was encouraging, I says, you know, you got to figure this out. If you do that every two months, within a year, you're going to have 50 clients. I said, you got 50 clients. They're of the same age. They buy annuities. They buy final expense insurance. And then you've you got this other whole things. other basket of things that they could potentially want to buy. Right. Every one of these are, are clients for us for the long term. And we are, of course, licensed in all of those. So I tell you that story. It's a it's a bootstrap story of a displaced entrepreneur in a displaced market starting all over again. But it goes back to what I'm saying is you can never stop selling. And what I'm seeing going on in the businesses today as they're restructuring, they're getting distracted, they're figuring out, well, how should we, what product should we sell anymore? Maybe we should close that factory. They get sucked into survival activities, doing all the wrong things, when what everybody needs to be doing now more than ever is exploding their sales and marketing efforts bootstrapping it best they can, doing whatever they can, because when this thing turns around, when freedom is brought back to Canada and the U.S., and it will come back, we will get our freedom back. I'm convinced of that. But when we get back, I want to have all the customers because the customers are then are really going to be wanting to go on vacation to do things mm -hmm. and to get going. Even though people say, oh, people are traveling and people are, they aren't. Your story is a perfect illustration. The pent up demand is still, is still large. The third thing that I wanted to mention that I think people need to do is speed. They need to move faster than they've ever moved before. And they've got to be discernment. They've got to be crystal clear on what they are going to do and what not going to do. It's kind of, hey. And it, uh, I use it an illustration on consulting clients or whatever. Do you, do you want me to help you or don't you? That decision, that's a decision. And don't, don't call them back. <laughs> All right. What is your biggest, what are your top three problems? When they designate what those problems are, do you want help in any of those? Yes or no? If yeah. you don't, you think you can make it on your own. Okay, well, good. Well, we'll be in touch in a year. Boom. Yeah. And, and that's the move. Decisiveness. Because interestingly enough, if they're undecisive, and I have many of these clients, they're indecisive, they're going to be indecisive next year, a year from now, three years from now. And I'm running out of time. <laughs> and in most cases, I'm running out of time earlier than they're running out of time. You're, so you're pushing this, them for that no. You're, you're pushing them for that note right. so that they don't string you along forever. Right. And so that speed will help them accelerate their own business. Hmm. They, they in, in, I'm just using the consulting illustration, when in fact they have somebody do that to them, it is one of the biggest consulting services I can do for them because they get off that engagement or that phone call or whatever and have to go back and say, okay, now what are my alternates? And hopefully they'll go do something. Because doing nothing is not the right answer for any of us. I hear you. It's true. I'm, I'm uh, all right. Now I'm excited, Paul. When I get down to Florida, I'll have to come, come and visit you. Well, we're going to do a meeting down here. When you get down to Florida, you got to let me know. We're going to do Got to do a session of some kind. Get people to show up at the local Hilton. That'd be awesome. All right, and we'll we'll do a we do a show. We do a show. <laughs> what? Well, uh, we got to get wrapped up here. But uh, but if people want to reach out and find you, Paul, what's the easiest way for them to to reach you or or find some of the books that you've written and, and different things? 
Uh, well, the, the books are on Amazon, uh, Play to the End and uh, Leadership for Results. Uh, that's the easiest way to get those. Uh, you can get me on my website, uh, results-systems.com uh, or pauljhendelang.com. Uh, or you can call me on my uh, cell phone, 244, excuse me, 248-244-8550. And uh, I'm out there, just find me on Google. Pretty easy. <laughs> All right, Paul. Well, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and, and Merry thanks, Christmas for, thanks for checking in again with us this year. It's been a pleasure. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad to see you're making it okay down in Florida. Yeah, that's great. Well, you're all welcome to come visit. All right. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye.